So, we've been talking about spiritual gifts, power lifting. Uh, Pastor Derek is in Mississippi with his mom right now, so we uh, praying that he gets some rest and some well-needed time with his family, and so you're stuck with me today. So, um, I did share my slides with Alan, and he told me um, that he's shutting the lights off at 1130, because he said it may be till 1230 with what I've got, so we'll see what happens. Last week, we did do a survey about spiritual gifts. And so we just want to share with you real quickly the results of this survey that we took and some of the, with some of the questions that we talked about. So spiritual gift survey results. Do you have an understanding of spiritual gifts? So of the surveys we took, this is through the electronic form and also through some paper ballots that we took, 84% said yes, 16% said no. So that they have an understanding of spiritual gifts. There we go. Do you, <coughs> excuse me, do you know your personal spiritual gifts? Of those surveys, 54% said yes, 46% said no. Are you currently using the spiritual gifts given to you to glorify God within the body of Christ? 43% said yes. 57% said no. So what it tells me is that we, we have a little work to do. And you know what? That's okay. That's exactly what we're, we're hoping. We always want to be changing and molding into what God wants us to do, which means that there's work to do. And so spiritual gifts, let me tell you, I, I was much older before I figured out exactly what my spiritual gift was and what that meant and how that was to be exercised and how God was going to use that in my life. You know, spiritual gifts are such a confusing thing. You've got so many opinions out there and you've got so many popular speakers that are going to speak into it and you've got so much out there. But what we want to do today is, Pastor Derek last week took a look at the APEST, uh, which is in, in Ephesians 4, Three, uh, 7 through 13, he talks about the equipping gifts. And he talked about the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, or they, um, sometimes it translates pastors, and then teachers. You know, in weeks to come, make sure you come in the next few weeks, because we're going to be looking at ministry gifts and miraculous gifts. But today, we want to look at what I think is the foundation of spiritual gifts. The foundation of spiritual gifts. So we're going to be looking, I titled this, A More Excellent Way. This comes from 1 Corinthians, so if you have your Bible, 1 Corinthians 12. Go ahead and start turning there, 1231. But before we do this, you know me. You know, when we're in teaching teams, sometimes, you know, Derek looks at Mason and Nine, and it's like, look, and what, what are y'all going to do? Because we start, like, talking about stuff. We start talking about Greek, and everybody gets bored and falls asleep during teaching team. But Mason and I are over there having fun. But we want to talk about the context of this passage. If you remember back uh, in our core values, I preached about belong. And it came from 1 Corinthians. And so what I want to do is real quickly set the stage. This is the, the book of 1 Corinthians kind of broken out in chapters. I'm not going to go over all of them. I went over this, this last time, but I just wanted you to have it just as a foundation of what the book of 1 Corinthians looks like. 
So as you look at it real quickly, you know, a call to unity in chapter 1 to put away division. Chapter 2, a call to rely on the Spirit. Chapter 3, Christ is our foundation. Chapter 4, we are servants of Christ. Chapter 5, we are to confront sin in the church. Chapter 6, your physical body is the Lord's. Chapter 7, married or single, you should be focused on the Lord. Chapter 8, be careful with your freedom. Chapter 9, serve others to win many. Chapter 10, do not be overtaken by temptation. Chapter 11, there should be order in the church. Chapter 12, you are a part of the body of Christ. So that's just a breakdown of what the book of 1 Corinthians looks like. But now we want to look at the context of what Paul's about to write. We're about to look at 1 Corinthians 12, 31 through the chapter of 13. But who's he writing to? So 1 Corinthians 1, 2, he tells us. He says it's to the church of God which is in Corinth. So there was a specific church in the city of Corinth that Paul is writing this letter to for a certain time and place. Okay? He says it's to those who have been sanctified. Sanctified there means to be set apart. So we know that these people are believers. They're sanctified in Christ Jesus. So their position is they are a church. They are believers. They're sanctified and set apart in Christ Jesus. They're saints by calling with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's where Paul doesn't let you and I out of it, okay? He says to the saints in Corinth, but then he says, hey, to everyone else that calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, this letter, this book is for you. So we're going to look. He he reminds them. He wants them to remember the testimony of their salvation. It was in in verse 6 of chapter 1. It says it's been confirmed. Their testimony was confirmed. It It was something that was known to be true. That they even had all these gifts that the Lord had given each and every one of them. So let's not be fooled. These are believers in Corinth that Paul is addressing. But what I want you to understand is these believers... Are broken. Y'all hear that? These believers are broken. Now, here at Christ Community, y'all and listen. Y'all should see this a bunch. We have it everywhere, and we keep pounding it into you. Okay, Christ Community Church exists to awaken the broken to a life of wholeness found in Jesus. And you know that's not just the lost person wandering the street. You and I are broken. And Paul is addressing some broken people. And so Paul is addressing us this morning when we look at this passage. Well, the question is, how are they broken? Okay, so I'm just, again, we're going to get through these quickly, so we're not here to 1230. But look at this. In chapter 1, it says that they had divisions and quarrels among churches. How many of you have been of a part of a church where there's divisions or quarrels? Really? Only that many? Okay, good. All right. Whew. We just move on. No, I'm speaking. Listen, divisions of quarrels, they'll happen. Listen, it'll happen over the carpet color. It'll happen over, you know. One church I pastored was a small country church, and I wanted to put the TV screens up. And everybody voted yes. So we did it. We started putting the TV screens up. Well, I went to go fill my, gas, my car up with gas, and a church member came to me and said, I'm thinking about leaving the church. I said, well, why? He said, well, you're about to drill into the wall of our church. I was like, what do you mean? He said, you're about to put up the, the TVs. And I was like, okay. Well, 
If that's what you want to do, I don't know how to stop you. Because we're still going to put up TVs. But sometimes we fight over the dumbest things, don't we? And then sometimes there are some legitimate quarrels and beefs that happen among the church. But Paul is addressing it. He said, there's divisions and quarrels among your church. Chapter 2, he says, they relied on the wisdom of men instead of the power of God. You know, sometimes we will follow a pastor or we'll follow a teacher instead of God. That's where you say amen, because we know it's true. I'm guilty of it. This is anybody else. But what I want you to see here is that he says that they followed men instead of what? The power of God. Do you know what that word power is in Greek? It's the same word we get the word dynamite from. What does dynamite do? It leaves a gaping hole, doesn't it? It makes some changes. If you want to change something, you stick a piece of dynamite in it and light it. It's going to change. And that's what he said. Instead of relying on the power of God, they were relying on people. Brian Height, he had emailed us something about uh, what the Lord had been laying on his heart. I think it was this past week to Pastor Derek, and Pastor Derek shared it to us. And, uh, but I want to share this quote with you from someone that he gave us. This person said, and he's a pastor, he says, As long as you're willing to live without the supernatural, you will. You hear that? Listen to it one more time. As long as you're willing to live without the supernatural, you will. See, so many of us are scared of God moving. And listen, I've struggled with this. I'm not the most expressive person. When you see me out there, I'm probably not the one dancing in the aisle or raising my hand or shouting or, or whatever, okay? That's probably not me. But that doesn't mean other people don't do that. And that doesn't mean that they don't love God, just like I love God. You know, David, I, I think he was called the man after God's own heart, right? Well, he danced down the street. I'm going to tell you how he danced down the street, but he danced down the street. And everybody saw him. And so sometimes we want to follow a man instead of the power of God. And we need to have the power of God in our life. Three, they were stuck in immaturity. In chapter three, he touches on this issue of immaturity. You know, immaturity in the church is killing us. We cannot be an infant forever. Y'all ever seen... A child growing up that gets stuck in being a child, it's all right when they're two or three, but when they're 30, not all right. You know, Paul here says in, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, he says, to be, uh, he says that they were being fleshy. So I looked up that word. I was like, what is this word fleshy? The word fleshy here says... To, to be being human at a disappointing level or behavior of characteristics. <laughs> so Paul was just slapping them in the face. Y'all are being fleshy. And what he was saying was, y'all are being disappointing. You know, my, my mom and dad, mother-in-law, grandmother-in-law, all sitting right here. I'm not going to let them give up in testimonies. But let me tell you, sometimes I was fleshy. Sometimes I was disappointing. I'll never, hey, you be quiet over there. My dad's a preacher. He'll amen everything. Listen, I was a, I think I was a senior in high school and uh, played basketball, got done with the game, 
And, hey, Dad, I'm going to go eat pizza with my friends. Okay, no problem. Just be home at the time that you're supposed to be home. Yes, sir. Done. Well, guess what? Didn't do that. Stayed after, watched some movies, hung out with some friends. No problem. I'm going to come home. Mom and Dad are going to be asleep. Nope. Dad's car is not in the driveway. And Mom is sitting in the recliner waiting for Jason to come home and said, you can sit right there until your father gets home. Disappointing. <laughs> Immature. Four, they have become arrogant and immoral. Nothing worse than an arrogant Christian, right? Man, what? That will turn off a lost person in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. Humility is a great sign of a Christian. Five, they were defiling their bodies in marriages. They were accustomed, the city of Corinth was in an area that there was a melting pot of people coming in and they were defiling their bodies in acts of, quote, worship. Their marriages were falling apart. Six, they were becoming a stumbling block with their liberties. Paul had said, listen, God has given you some liberties. You can do this now and it's okay. But you know what happened? They began to do those things and not looking out for any of their brothers and sisters that might be a stumbling block to them. Seven, they had not learned from the example of Israel's mistakes. Listen, Israel, throughout the Old Testament, has some great pictures of how to not do things, right? And how God is going to forgive and, and bring you back in. And they didn't learn from that. Eight, they had abandoned order in their services and abused communion. Boy, this is, this is big. They had abandoned order in their service. Now, I'm not talking about being boring, okay? But there is order. God is a God of order. But he also has some standards that he wants. And when it comes to communion, he said that some people were taking communion the wrong way. And guess what happened? They got sick and died because they took communion wrong. Nine, they were not unified in their giftings. Listen, God, he, here he talks about us being one body, and he says, you're not unified. The eye's trying to do the hand's job, the hand's trying to do the nose's job, the ear's trying to do the foot's job, and man, that is mass chaos. And he says, you're not unified. Well, in this passage, we're going to look at it real quickly. I'm going to read through this, and then we'll move on. We're going to see a more excellent way. So in chapter 12, verse 31, Paul says, But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way. If I speak with tongues of men and angels and do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. does not take into account a wrong suffered. does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be, it will be done away. 
For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I will know fully just, I, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Lord, would you use the reading of your word this morning to change our hearts? Lord, may it make us uncomfortable this morning. May we examine ourselves. May, we, may you shine your light into our heart. And may we be different when we leave this building this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So a more excellent way. Paul gives us four ways that we can know that love is the foundation of our spiritual gifts. We're talking about spiritual gifts, and he's going to say, listen, if you can have it, you all, if you know Christ, the Holy Spirit has given you a spiritual gift by his will, not ours, by his will, and Paul here is going to say, here's the foundation of our love. So, the excellence of love. Look at verse, uh, chapter 12, verses 31, and then we're going to be looking at uh, verses 1 through 3. Notice that Paul says here that it's about, it's, it's about not practicing gifts, it's gifting without love. Notice that he makes it personal. He says, if I speak with tongues of men, of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. See, that's the great thing about Paul is he's not pointing the finger at them there. He's now pointing it at him. He's saying, if I do these things, this is the Apostle Paul saying this, if I do these things, if I practice my gifts and I don't do it with love, then I'm a noisy gong, or excuse me, uh, yeah, a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. This word noisy here, it's, it's to ring out of brass. So they would have many brass objects and they would clang them together and, and it would make a noisy uh, sound. The gong there, it means it, it's depicting anything made of metal, Often the word is used describing, describing cultic worship. So you've got this gong that is used during occultic worship services, and they would you know, clang it to, to get everyone's attention. And then the clanging there is to cry out loudly in wailing. Oftentimes the word is used also in talking about people who are mourning. So they cry out loudly, and they're saying, oh, and they're just expressing themselves. And the symbol there, again, it's a metal basin used in ritual services. Now, I thought about, I talked to, to Kristen about bringing a big gong up here and doing that, but I thought that's probably not good. Instead, I'm going to try and see if this video works, okay? So, I think oh, you My soul will rest in your embrace, for I am yours, and you Take me deep. 
You might be trying to be the drummer that's like, I'm going to show my skills off. I'm going to be the best drummer, and I'm going to, and it's going to ruin it. He says, you don't want to be like this. But again, he says, without this agape love, he says that there's prophecy, knowledge, faith. All these things are amazing. They're great. We love it to hear the word of God proclaimed to us and we know we love to have the knowledge that some people have and the gift of of faith that God gives each and every one of us but without that love we're just like that drummer we're on our own we're not being a part of this this word there is that we are nothing it literally means I'm a nobody I'm a nobody if I'm doing it in my own without love He says, if you sell everything and give it away to feed the poor or to surrender yourself completely over to God physically in all ways, it profits you nothing. It means, that word means there to to aid or benefit. It has no benefit to you. None. If you do it without love. Well, the second thing is the description of love in verses verses 4 through 8 part there. We're going to look at that as Paul begins to describe love. To us, but before we do that, I want to bring somebody out, Miss Barbara Lutz. Are you back there, Miss Barbara? There she is. Y'all welcome, Miss Barbara. Good morning. So I wanted to bring Miss Barbara out here and and to just give you a picture of what God is doing in our church through love and through giftings and through callings. Uh, I want you to, what we're going to tell you about is not something that we as a staff dreamed up, okay? None of us dreamed this up. God gave this to Barbara. So Barbara is, has started something called Linked Up. So Barbara, you know, what, what is Linked Up? Linked Up is just a group of moms who get together down the children's wing hallway. We have children ages birth to five years old, and we meet from 10 to 1130 for prayer, fellowship, and discussion and we have childcare provided for free, which if you're a mom of littles, you know what an amazing blessing that is. And it's open to everybody. We have some moms who don't go to church, some who go to church elsewhere, and some who come here. So everyone is always welcome. That's awesome. That is so, yeah, I heard a mom shout a little bit about childcare or something. <laughs> so revival is coming. All right. So how, how did Linked Up start? Well, I love telling the origin story because it is so not what I expected, um, which God does sometimes, right? But I was really just praying just between me and the Lord and saying, hey, I could really 
use some friends who have kids my kids' ages. I have friends who have older kids or friends with younger kids who don't live nearby. And I was just really feeling that gap or that need in my own life. And in response, <laughs> he started to share the vision of Linked Up with me. And at first, y'all, I was like, that's not really what I had in mind. Um, I was thinking something simple, like a group that's already established that I could just show up and be a part of and be blessed by. Doesn't that sound a lot easier? But it was just clearly not his plan. So he started to reveal the vision to me, and it was literally moms linking arms in the trenches of parenthood and sharing life. And he reminded me of the scripture from Ecclesiastes that says what a pity it is if someone falls and has no one to pick him up. And he was painting this beautiful picture of a group where that wouldn't happen. And so now I step back and think, wow, we are about to celebrate our one-year anniversary in July. And I'm just totally blown away and standing in awe of what he's done. That is awesome. Yes, that's good. Well, how is God's love being expressed in and through Linked Up in the group that you're a part of? Well, I think when I think about Linked Up and God's love, I just think about the word generous, that his love is so generous. And when I remember praying that just between me and the Lord, he was generous to answer that for me because in answering that prayer for me, he said, yes, Barbara, I see you. I hear you. I know you. I love you. I want to answer this prayer. I want to meet this need in your life. But not just for you. I want to do that for all these other women as well. And that's so generous. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that so much because my vision was small. It was just for me. But he did above and beyond what I asked or imagined. And I think that's just because of his generous love. That's awesome. I think you have a maybe a story, a picture yeah. of, I, I love this story. When I heard this story, it like sent chills down my spine. I was like, okay, this is how I know God is moving among you to do ministry. So you want to share that story? Yes. I reached out to one of our moms and asked her permission to just share the story of how we found each other. And it has been such an incredible story because it was so random. <laughs> but one day after Linked Up, we all went to Britt David Park to have a picnic lunch and play and just be together. And I remember thinking on the way there, somebody said something about Cooper Creek Park, which is right next to our church, if you're not familiar. And I remember kind of second guessing myself on the way to the park. Oh, should we have done Cooper Creek? Maybe we should do Cooper Creek next time, this or that. And got to the park. We had our little picnic lunch and all the moms are playing with their kids, and I'm swinging my kids next to a pregnant mom of two who's swinging her kids, and she just looks at me and says, how do you all know each other? Are you part of a preschool mom group? Are you friends? And of course, I said, oh, I'm so glad you asked. Let me tell you about Linked Up, and I invited her to join us, and that was it. It was like short and sweet interaction. We exchanged information. So later that afternoon, I reached out to her and I said, hey, it was so nice to meet you this morning. We hope that you can join us next week. She said, oh, I'll definitely be there because I've been praying for a group of godly mom friends and some sort of Bible study. And it just seems like you're the answer to that prayer. Mm -hmm. And I was so blown away. But when I reached out to her to get permission to share her testimony, she told me two more things that I didn't know that just made the story so much more amazing than it already was. She said, oh, I would love for you to share because 
I was meant to be at the park that day, but I wasn't supposed to be at the park that day. She said, my son had a rescheduled doctor's appointment because we had gotten sick. And I'm on the way to the doctor appointment, and I took two wrong turns. And as we were about to pass the park, I said, oh, why not? Let's stop for a few minutes and play, even though that's not part of our plan. (laughs) He literally (laughs) redirected her steps, right? Then she said, I was at the park swinging the girls, She has a son and a daughter. She's swinging her kids, and she looks up, and she sees our crew coming down into the park, and she said, I literally started crying and praying that God would give me a community like that because I had one friend in town, and she had just moved away that week, so I was feeling really, really alone. Yeah, that was my reaction. It was just, wow, that is incredible. And when we had first met her in the park as we were swinging our kids and I told her about linked up, she leaned over and she said, can I be honest with you? And I said, of course. She said, I've lived here almost a year and a half and I don't have any friends. And it just broke my heart. And I said, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry to hear that. I'll be your friend. (laughs) And that's when we exchanged information and that journey began. And she comes every week, and it's just been this incredible thing to look back and see that God loves us so generously, and he did so much more than that little thing that I asked or imagined, that he literally redirected her steps and directed our steps to be at the same place. I learned it was the right park after that. <laughs> she, we were at the right place at the right time for him to do this specific thing just for her because he loves her that much. And I remember telling a friend about it and saying, it's so wild, it's so crazy, it's so awesome. And then by the end of the story, I said, no, really, that's just God. It should be our expectation that when we experience the generous love of God, we're not surprised when he shows up and does something like that. Amen? Amen. Yes. Let's give God glory for that. Well, if you're involved with that linked up group, would you, would you stand right now? We're just going to pray over that group. There's a few of you out here. Okay. We're going to pray over y'all and pray over Barbara and uh, just thank the Lord for this ministry. So, Lord, we thank you. I thank you for Barbara. I thank you for her being sensitive to you and your calling. Lord, I thank you for this group of mothers that come together and and celebrate not only motherhood, but you by reading your word and studying. And and Lord, what a great picture of using the gifts that you've given us to minister to others. And Lord, there, there are no accidents. We know that. And Lord, that you have directed people into our pathways. The question is, will we be ready? And so Lord, I thank you that Barbara was ready and, and Lord, willing to do this. Would you bless her? Would you bless these Mothers as they get together, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, Barbara. And Barbara will be out uh, back at a booth after church. If you are interested in this group, she'll be back there uh, just to give you any information if you want uh, to be a part of that, okay? Let's give Barbara a round there. So let's get back to it because we still have 48 slides left to go through. So... He says, we're going to look at verses 4, 
through 8a, this is the most popular part of chapter 13, and most of you have heard this passage where? That a wedding. Well, I got news for you. This was not a wedding that Paul was thinking of when he wrote this, because he's writing to a bunch of people who are immoral and divided and sinning. So I want you to shift your mindset. This is not a wedding that we're at. We're at a discipline, okay? <laughs> we're at a discipline. So he says, we're going to go through this. Love is patient. This word patient means remains free from agitation while waiting. Okay, now if you're a parent, this, this, is, this is your key right here, okay? It remains free from agitation while waiting. If you've ever driven through Atlanta, this is, this is you right here. And we were backstage and Tiana was back there with her kids and man... I was just like, that is a picture of patience. Crawling all over her while she's trying to get ready to sing. And man, that just patience. They're kind. That means merciful. They're not jealous. Love is not jealous. To have an intense negative feelings over another's achievements or success. That's what that jealousy means. An intense negative feelings. That means, man, I'm jealous for them. I don't want, I want that more than, they shouldn't have that. They're, they're worse than I am. I should have that. He goes on that love is, it does not brag. You know, to brag is to heap praise on yourself. You ever know somebody like that walks in the room, first thing they do, oh, look at me. Look at me. Look how, look how good I look. And Man, look how great I speak or how, whatever. It's all about them as soon as they walk in the room. They're not, love is not arrogant. This word arrogance, to cause to have an exaggerated self-conception or to puff up. Love does not act unbecomingly. Now that is a, a weird word we don't use anymore. NIV, ESV, they translate it rude. Okay, we, my kids use it rude. They use that word all the time. Love is not rude. It, it doesn't behave disgracefully or dishonorably or indecently. Love doesn't do that. Love does not seek its own. The word seek there is to investigate. It's like an investigated person looking for something. And it says that it does not seek out its own. So it's not self-seeking. If you're a mother today, you know you can't be self-seeking. As soon as that baby is born, guess what? Attention right there. That's it. You don't get to sleep. You don't get to eat. You don't get to shower. You don't get to have fun. You got to feed. Take care of this baby. Love is not provoked. It's not easily angered. Do you have a short fuse? Anybody have a short fuse? Don't say yes. Oh, look, we got, we got one honest person. Right <laughs> Listen, a short fuse. Love doesn't express that. It says love doesn't do that. Love is not short fused. Love does not take into account wrong suffered. Well, this word here, to not take into account, means it's a bookkeeping term, and it means to calculate or reckon as when figuring an entry in a ledger. The purpose of the entry is to make a permanent record that could be consulted whenever needed. How many of us have done that? Let me just etch that in my brain back here and pull up for you later on. We ever done that? I have. Got it etched back there. Hard to get rid of once you etch it back in there. But Paul says, love doesn't take into that account of wrong suffered. 
Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. This unrighteousness, it means the qualities of injustice or wickedness. Man, does our world and our church need to not celebrate unrighteousness today. We are surrounded by unrighteousness. We are surrounded by injustice. We are surrounded by sin. And oftentimes, we join in rejoicing. It says that love rejoices in truth. You know, when I was younger in college, I was talking to a friend of mine that did not believe in Christ. And they said, you know what, There, there is no absolute truth. And you can't convince me of that. Well, I said, are you absolutely sure? And then he stopped. (laughs) Listen, we celebrate in truth. And that's what we stand on, the truth of God's word. It loves, bears all things. That means to endure difficulties. Listen, how many of us know that our life is filled with difficulties? And love enables us to bear those things. It walks you through and brings you out on the other side. Love believes all things. This word here means to it's worthy of one's trust. Are we worthy of one's trust? Are we worthy of the Father's trust in us? Because that's what love is. Hopes all things. It looks forward to with confidence. Endures all things to maintain a belief or, or a course of action in the face of op- opposition. And then love never fails. And I forgot to click through these. So y'all are going to have to read through them again. <laughs> love never fails. You know, love is the foundation of what we're going to be doing here. In everything we do, love is going to be our foundation. Notice these descriptions are verbs. Love is an action. It's not just merely words that we spit out. Love means that there will be an action. Last, the third thing is the permanence of love. Now, in this section of verses, sometimes there's confusion and there's disagreement about what all this stuff means, but I I think we can look through it and I think we can come to a, a clear conclusion. But he says here in the last part of verse 8, he says, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there's knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. You notice the, the ones that he lists there are prophecy. That means to tell about something that is hidden from view. Tongues. It means tongues in the Bible is used for evangelism, for prayer, and for edification of the church. But knowledge is the comprehension or intellectual grasp of something. But here, some people will say, hey, these things are gone. There were certain ages in the church, and these things are now gone. They've ceased. I don't agree with that. Verse 10, I think, is the key to interpreting this passage. Because it says, when the perfect comes. How many of us know who the perfect is? Jesus. guess what? He's coming again. Now, some may say, well, he already came. That's true. But I want to talk about these three things that he talked about here. The prophecy, the tongues, and the, and the knowledge. Listen, we still need those things. 
We still need to prophesy and to proclaim the truth of Christ. We still need tongues to be able to evangelize and, to, and, and for our spiritual walk with the Lord. We need knowledge in order to, to teach people and to educate people and to educate ourselves and grow closer to God. But listen, when we get to heaven, guess what we won't be doing? We won't be evangelizing. We won't have to worry about being taught anymore. We're going to be in the presence of the Lord. All those things will be completed. The fourth thing. Love is the most excellent way. In verses 11 through 13, he talks about, hey, I was immature. I was a child, and I stopped being acting like a child. And he talks about looking in a mirror dimly and seeing the reflection. And he says this, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. So he's talking about this most excellent way brings us to maturity. Love, again, is for edifying. This picture of the mirror here, it's, a, it's not a complete picture. How many of us know when we look in the mirror, guess what we don't see? What's behind us? So, you know, I don't know if the back of my hair is sticking straight out. I don't know. I didn't look. I did look, but it, I couldn't see it. Love is for edification. The spiritual gifts God has given us, he says in 1 Corinthians 12 and in 14 and on and on, Paul multiple times, said, multiple times says, if you have a spiritual gift, your gift is to edify the church. This means we must not think of ourselves, but of others. And this demands love. Paul now ends by reminding his readers, listen, there's faith, there's hope, and there's love. But love is greater. Well, I want to end here with some challenging questions for us today. We've talked about, listen, this is not a marriage ceremony passage that we're talking about. This is a Paul confronting a church that has problems. Paul's confronting people that are broken. And so my question for you this morning is, are you broken this morning? Maybe you're sitting there this morning and you know there's something wrong. And you've just not been willing to admit it. Maybe you say, well, Pastor, I don't want to come and admit my faults in front of everybody. Well, guess what? Neither do I. <laughs> None of us want to. But one of the greatest things that I love seeing on Sunday is tears on these benches. Because that means we know we're broken. Two, how are you practicing your gifts today? And are you a noisy gong or a clanging? Are you that drummer? Are you going to town while everybody else is doing it and you're trying to get all the attention? Maybe you don't know what your spiritual gift is, and that's okay. I want to remind you, we, we have a class for that, Gifted to Serve. We're working on a virtual class so you can take it at home on your own time and at your own pace, and we'll follow up with you. Pastor Mason and, and others have been working so hard on that. 
And we're here for you to help walk you through that. Three, is there any description of love that you can say that you are missing today and struggling with? Maybe you're not patient. Maybe you're not kind. Maybe you're puffed up. Maybe, I don't know, something on that list. Maybe that has hit you and you say, that, that's me. Four, have you forgotten how great love is? This is a big one. Do you know that you're loved this morning? Do you know that? You're loved. Each and every one of you. God loves you. We love you. I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing this last song. I'm going to ask those that are going to be praying to come down to our altars. Listen, we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts in the weeks to come. And there's going to be some challenges and there's going to be some confusion and some struggling and trying to figure out what that means. But you know, it all starts with you being ready. So this morning, are you ready? Do any of these things, any of these questions hit you? If you need prayer this morning, we have those that are ready to pray with you. Maybe you'd say, you know what, Jason, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I've heard of them, or maybe you haven't heard of them. Any of these people would love to tell you about Christ. We would love to walk with you through that. Maybe there's some sin in your life, and you need forgiveness. Maybe there's somebody in this room you need to go to and say, would you forgive me? What a great picture. Maybe you're a Barbara Lutz, and God has said, hey, I want you to do this. And you said, "Uh uh-uh, don't want to. Somebody else can do it. Maybe you need to come and ask God, give me the power and strength to do that. Let's sing this, and would you come if you need prayer?